This is a Federal News Network podcast. Contractors start the new calendar year with customers funded for the fiscal year, but some new rules and procedures will take some attention. We get the outlook from federal sales and marketing consultant Larry Allen. And Larry, let's start with the funding aspect of all of this. Now, it was just a few days ago before New Year's that the president signed the omnibus bill, but that doesn't mean the money is in the accounts ready to go, does it? Tom, that's exactly right. The president signed the bill. But it's going to take, I think, till the first two weeks of February before each individual federal office gets their official spending number from the Office of Management and Budget. It usually takes at least a month. And given the time of year we're in, probably a little bit longer for OMB to get all of its work done and then transmit the final spending figures to each office. So if you're a government contractor, Uh, Between January and now, you want to keep doing what you have been doing. Understand that your federal customer is going to have money and that the projects that you've been waiting to work on should be able to move forward. But there's not going to be any spending commitment for the most part until those dollars hit the accounts. In other words, agencies can't obligate yet until they get the go-ahead from OMB. It's not a Treasury issue. It's an OMB White House issue. That's right. OMB takes the congressional appropriations bill, parses it up, figures out what it means agency by agency, and then goes to the sub-agency level based on the budget and anything special that Congress directed in terms of earmarks. And then each office gets its number and they're off. Uh, They can do all the planning they want until then, but no obligations. Right. So therefore, what is a good procedure for new projects in the meantime, since contractors technically can't get obligated funds and they can't get paid then, should they start? Oh, Tom, I think absolutely you should start. I think you probably should have started a month ago because we had a fairly good idea that this was going to happen. Although certainly Congress kept things interesting as they usually do right up to the last minute. Contractors should definitely be out talking to their government customers, doing the planning, doing the procedures that they would normally do to develop business With the big difference between last fiscal year and this fiscal year, Tom, is there's going to be just a little bit more time, a couple of months more time for uh, agencies to plan to maybe do things in a little bit more of a strategic manner. And that's going to benefit, I think, both contractors and government because everybody will have an opportunity to talk a little bit more, to plan a little bit more. It should lead to a somewhat longer buying season, although I certainly am predicting that most of the big spending will come in August and September. Okay. And just to make sure we're super clear on this, the contractors then should feel confident in expending cost pursuant to a new project, even though they won't get paid for it until sometime after the funds flow into the agencies and the agencies can then sign off on purchase orders and and invoices. Well, if you're doing your business development costs, Tom, or even things like bid and proposal dollars, I think those are reasonable uh, expenses to incur, particularly on any projects you've been following carefully. I wouldn't uh, obligate funds and spend things on a customer if they don't have an appropriation yet. (laughs) They may not get paid. But in terms of bid and proposal, preparation, BD money, uh, all that pre-sign-on-the-dotted-line effort, that's tough that can certainly be done now. But if an agency says we're planning on doing a new customer experience application and and we're going to need 7,000 hours of programming, 
and six million lines of code from you, you can't start that coding and delivery of blocks of code yet. That's correct. I would urge uh, all contractors to make sure that they don't do work unless they have something signed by a contracting officer that actually obligates the government. Confine your work to the whiteboard at this point because markers are cheap and (laughs) coders are expensive. We're speaking with Larry Allen, president of Allen Federal Business Partners. And there's another issue that kind of popped up. This was a bill that that the president signed regarding conflict of interest requirements for contractors. And this sounds like a lot of new busy work. It is to some extent, Tom, because we already have existing conflict of interest laws on the books. But clearly, this legislation that originated in the Senate is something that Congress felt was necessary. It's called the Preventing Organizational Conflicts of Interest in Federal Acquisition Act. Doesn't exactly trip off the tongue, Tom, but there there you have it. And basically, the bill wants contractors and government contracting officers to look carefully for organizational conflicts of interest. You know, when you're talking about conflicts of interest, there are two basic types. There's personal and organizational. And this really came about, I think, primarily because of a reaction to uh, McKinsey and Company, where McKinsey provided consulting services at the same time for both the FDA that oversees drug renewals and approvals, and for a pharmaceutical company that had actions in front of the FDA. That caught the attention of some of the lawmakers, and here we are with a new conflict of interest law for all contractors. Yes, luckily none of the members of Congress ever have investments or stocks in companies (laughs) to which the legislation has effect. We just thank the Lord for that little lack of conflict of interest. But what about the conflict of interest when, say, a McKinsey or some sort of company helps with requirements development and then bids on those requirements as a contract? That's usually what you think of as organizational conflict of interest. Right. And that's still a big no-no too, Tom. Uh, There are certainly laws on the books and more than one contractor, even experienced contractors, have gotten themselves in trouble by providing a lot of help to a federal agency on preparing a procurement, even some point uh, helping prepare the bid documents. And then, of course, they're precluded from bidding on the requirement because they've helped shape it too much. You know, they may get paid for their work in preparing all that documentation, but that's a percentage of what most of the contracts are that they would actually like to bid on. So if you're a government contractor, you certainly want to be a good partner with your federal agency customer, but you don't want to be so much of a partner that you're doing all of their work for them and putting your own business opportunities in jeopardy at the same time. And getting back to this new law, there is a FAR change that is required, and there's something interesting in the FAR, in the Federal Acquisition Regulation, that will need to be included as part of the rules here. Yeah, I thought this was pretty interesting, Tom. The Senate actually included a provision that says the FAR Council shall prepare an illustrative example And the example must define a company's conflict of interest based on a contractor providing consulting services to a regulatory agency that also has employees working for the private sector client at the same time. Clearly, this is something that got under a particular senator's skin, and it made it into the final version of the bill. 
We don't see too many illustrative examples in the federal acquisition regulations, Tom, but uh, this is Senate language, now congressional language, that directed Congress to do that in this circumstance. And finally, TikTok seems to be in trouble pretty much everywhere you look in the government, at state level. Now some headlines on cable TV erroneously reported that the House banned TikTok on federal devices, which they can't do the wrong branch of government. But the administration is considering that. What about contractors and their people with TikTok? Um, I think if you're a government contractor working on any type of sensitive government project, even if it's not technically classified, you really want to examine your TikTok use policy for the devices that you may issue to your employees. We have now uh, a government-wide ban that's coming into place from the appropriations bill that was just signed. Uh, DOD and DHS are two agencies that have already banned TikTok on their own devices. A number of states have also passed similar laws. Uh, It's not far-fetched at all, Tom, to think that government contractors, particularly those that work with DOD, DHS, or any type of sensitive project, probably will come in for the next round of TikTok exclusions. If you want to do business on a government contract, you have to have a policy that says you don't allow your employees to access TikTok on devices you issue to them. And it's all about security. I'm not saying that that's here now. I'm saying that I wouldn't be at all surprised to find that that's what comes next, maybe in the next session of Congress. And that's something that contractors, I think, should get get out ahead of right now, Tom. Take the steps to monitor what's going on, understand the risks associated with this app, and consider putting in place their own policies to mitigate that risk. Yeah, I think so. Besides, you have to wonder about the mature judgment of anyone, an adult, that even looks at TikTok in the first place. It's like people that like to drink fireball whiskey. You question their judgment. <laughs> Same thing with watching TikTok on their phone. Just a personal opinion. Uh, so the for the record, about the only time I've ever uh, used fireball is to help me shovel the driveway during those rare Washington snowstorms. Uh, it certainly provides some intestinal fortitude. But in terms of TikTok, I think you're right. I think companies have to understand that they're doing business with a government agency. They're supporting an agency. They may have access to sensitive data. We know that there are risks associated with TikTok, allegations over close ties to the Chinese government, and particularly the amount of data that TikTok collects from its users. That data can be potentially leveraged to put an employee in a compromising position, which jeopardizes not just the employee, but the performance of the company. If you understand that there's a risk and your government customer has already said, whoa, this is too much of a risk for us, you as a government contractor ought to be taking a serious look at the TikTok issue. Larry Allen is president of Allen Federal Business Partners. Thanks so much for joining me, and let's look forward to a great year in 23. Tom, I agree. Happy New Year to you and all of your listeners, and as always, happy selling. We'll post this interview at federalnewsnetwork.com slash Federal Drive. Hear the Federal Drive on demand. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Leadership Today especially within the federal workforce, is being tested more than ever before. Sean Ferguson, Senior Vice President of Government Relations and Chief of Staff to the Office of the Chairman at the Special Olympics, joins host Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA, to discuss the importance of leadership, inclusion, and community building. 
To learn more about how you can get involved with the Special Olympics in your community, visit specialolympics.org slash get dash involved. Hello, and welcome to the Lessons in Leadership podcast. What are some of the biggest lessons that you've learned working with that community? Oh, uh, yeah, almost, uh, Shane, it's almost immeasurable. The things I've learned since I've been with Special Olympics, I, um, one of the things that drew me to Special Olympics uh, when I made the move over from from the NFL uh, was that my mother, my grandmother, my aunt all took care of of people with intellectual disabilities and and, and physical disabilities as well. So all of my life, I was uh, interacting and around um, usually usually young people, but also adults with disabilities. And so I, I knew that I knew that work a bit, you know, they, they basically were in direct care. And, and I will say, and on, I obviously will say about my, my family, my mother, my aunt, my grandmother, they're saints. Uh, but, uh, the, the men and women that do take care of people with uh, profound disabilities are, are really, um, you know, we, we can't do enough to salute them. Um, they're, they're really heroes. And, um, so I was, I was drawn when I, I, and I just saw that, you know, Special Olympics was looking for someone and I thought, well, you know, take a look at it and see, see, you know, throw, send in my information and lo and behold, I, I, I get hired and, um, I learn uh, every day, almost something from, especially from our athletes. Uh, we're blessed to have a number of athletes that work here in our office in Washington, D.C., and, you know, uh, Terrell, who, who works in, in our mailroom, who comes by with packages and deliveries. Uh, if you're having a day that's, you know, getting away from you and you, you <laughs> coffee hasn't kicked in, but Terrell comes by, always happy, always enthused, uh, has a, has a good story. Like it can just turn a day around for you. And, and, and you think of, I, I, you know, often when you'll walk away, I'll be like, you know, whatever was bothering me or whatever is, you know, stressing me out and come on, you know, like, look at, look at Terrell, like he, he, he faces everything with optimism. And, and, and I've seen that also in our going to competitions in throughout the United States and globally, you see people who have had everything stacked against them. You know, their parents, when they were born, were often told this is a tragedy and you should, you should, you know, send your, this child away. Don't, don't, you know, and kind of forget about them, Get, turn them over to the state or, or wherever. And, and, you know, that, you know, just kind of watch, watch your hands a bit. Um, and, and, and in, in these cases, the parents didn't do that, thankfully. Um, and, but they've still faced enormous challenges, you know, and, but you see them out competing on the basketball courts or the football fields or swimming and, uh, and, and, you know, besting their times from, from their last competition. And they're so committed and just keep fighting through all the obstacles that they've had in front of them that are not just on the sports field, but also in growing up and finding education and finding groups to be part of and trying to find jobs. And, and, and I've seen so much perseverance and grit, uh, from the athletes of special Olympics that, uh, I, I, Tim Triver, my boss, the chairman, uh, says all the time, and I couldn't agree with him more. Uh, we get more than we give uh, working with Special Olympics. It, you know, we, and thank you for your very kind words about the work I do and we do. But but we're the lucky ones. We, those of us that work here are the lucky ones because I 
I said to someone the other day, you know, the things that I've been able to see and experience with athletes, you just don't get to do that anywhere. That, that, you know, it's a, and it's so unique and it's so uh, joyful. And, and uh, I mean, we work hard and, you know, we we're up against, you know, the things that nonprofits are up against and, you know, the, you know, the issues of the day, but uh, man, you see it, it and, and, and the inclusion and the, at special Olympics, no one's excluded. You know, no, right. no one's excluded. Everyone yeah. is equal at Special Olympics. It, and, you know, in a country that's quite divided on so many lines, politically and uh, socially, uh, economically, race and uh, sexual orientation and whatnot. But you go to Special Olympics and everyone's involved. Everyone's welcome. Everyone's equal. And I've learned that it's a model for our country and for our world. Uh, I, I just think that that if if people were involved in Special Olympics in experience the power of special olympics for themselves i i I can't imagine that one help our country and help our world um to experience that true inclusion and acceptance of difference how how do we get how can listeners get involved in special olympics ways to get involved uh, tons of ways so uh volunteers obviously coaches officials um, and, and the thing that, that, that uh, Tim Shriver has done uh, and really pushed in the years that he's been chairman is the unified sports model that, that I mentioned earlier, um, where people and, and it doesn't have to be. Uh, it's not just school age. It's it's, uh, you know, we say nine to ninety nine or uh, year old uh, folks uh, that play on teams, uh, bowl together, golf together, play soccer, basketball together. Uh, people with and without intellectual disabilities competing on teams together. Um, and that is, I, I think, when you when you go back to the founding uh, of our organization, what Mrs. Tri- Mrs. Shriver was trying to do uh, was to, to uh, create inclusion opportunities for people with intellectual disabilities. And you see it at these unified sports events where people with and without are playing together. We still have traditional uh, teams where it's all people with intellectual disabilities competing with other uh, teams, all intellectual disabilities. But this model of inclusive sports and inclusive leadership programs and whatnot, I think is truly revolutionizing and changing the way people see uh, others with intellectual disabilities. That's just like, I mean, that's what we that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to bring people together and bridge difference and, and, and celebrate differences and that our athletes, man, are some of the grittiest people that you will meet. And, and, uh, and there's a lot to learn from our athletes and playing sports with them and interacting is, is how you'll learn it. Check us out at, you know, uh, specialolympics.org on, on our website. Uh, that will link you to your local program. You can follow through the, the clicks of how to get involved and where, what's closest to you. You'll enjoy it. I can promise you that. Well, thank you very much, Sean. And, and to everybody listening, I'm Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA. And we'll, uh, Talk to you next time on the Lessons in Leadership podcast. With one of the best savings rates in America, banking with Capital One is the easiest decision in the history of decisions. Even easier than choosing Slash to be in your band. Next up for lead guitar. You're in. 
cool. <laughs> yep, even easier than that. And with no fees or minimums on checking and savings accounts, is it even a decision? That's banking reimagined. What's in your wallet? Terms apply. See CapitalOne.com slash bank for details. Capital One and a member FDIC.